0: joining us hopefully uh, you worked out the the time change and uh, enjoyed uh, that extra hour in bed if indeed you don't have uh, small children uh, it's great to uh, be able to speak with you I was going to say to be with you but to be able to speak with you uh, this morning from uh, the passage that Charlotte read from uh, for us uh, from Matthew uh, chapter Five. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount at the moment and looking at, uh, at many things that um, cut right to the heart. and And I trust that this one is is no different because Jesus is a he's a master heart surgeon, really, isn't he? And so he he brings things to to light not in order to condemn, but in order to help us to uh, to grow and uh, to change. So why don't we pray? Uh, in light of that and ask that he would continue to do that by his by his spirit let's pray together our heavenly father we do ask uh, that you would uh, by your spirit uh, be at work in each of our hearts as we as we watch this stream help us uh, to uh, to consider the ways in which uh, we need to change grow uh, repent turn from uh, various patterns and ways and live lives of truthfulness and integrity uh, that uh, commend the gospel to those around us and to the watching uh, world. Help us now, uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, We uh, have all experienced, uh, haven't we, what it is uh, to have promises broken. Uh, We know what it is uh, to be let down by someone Maybe uh, in your past you asked a, a friend or a family member uh, to keep a confidence, uh, to keep a secret, and they didn't, and they let you down, they, they broke that promise. Maybe you remember growing up, uh, a parent promising something, and they didn't follow through, they broke that promise. To say nothing of uh, our, our leaders, it's almost expected, isn't it, uh, that those uh, in the corridors of power, uh, they tend to promise much and, and deliver little. It's almost kind of baked into the cake at this point. Some of you watching this have made promises. Promises of love, promises of fidelity, promises of commitment. And you have had them broken. And you have felt that betrayal. But a moment's reflection uh, and honesty in the in the quietness of our own hearts leads us to the conclusion that not only have we had promises broken uh, to us, that we have broken promises ourselves. That we have let people down. We've said one thing and we've done another. I know I have. We have broken confidences. We have told those secrets after making the the promise not to. We even have been unfaithful. We, as parents, have let and will probably continue to let our children down. And so, Jesus is taking aim again at something that we all wrestle with. We all need him this morning. Uh, to to do this heart surgery for us so that we might grow, so that we might mature and develop, both as individuals and as a community of faith. And the issue that Jesus is taking aim at is the issue of truthfulness and integrity. Uh, Last year, uh, Phil and I watched the miniseries Chernobyl, uh, maybe you watched it, it's about six or so uh, episodes, uh, chronicling and retelling the uh, the nuclear disaster that happened in that part of uh, of Soviet-controlled uh, Ukraine back in uh, I think the year that I was born, I think around about nineteen eighty six. And while the the series shows the uh, the physical damage of of radiation poisoning and the physical damage of the uh, of the explosion. Uh, What the program focuses on is not the physical toll, but the moral fallout. The moral fallout in a society that ignores and suppresses the truth. See, the enemy in Chernobyl, it's not not a big batting. Uh, It's not a a monster. it's It's not a creature. It's a system. It's a system in which... The truth is starved of oxygen, where truthfulness dies. We often justify lies, don't we? We have there's black lies and there's wee white lies, and white lies they don't really matter. They're just a they're just a small thing. But what happens? And Chernobyl shows us this. What happens when a whole community, a whole society? speaks lies all the time where no one says what they mean or means what they say what happens to a community like that when lies just chip off our tongues all the time well we lose trust in one another we lose cohesion as a community we lose the ability to recognize anything true at all that's exactly what happened in soviet russia and chernobyl's just that in microcosm but that's what happened throughout the soviet era is that people were given to lying all the time and what that bred was mistrust and the society began to disintegrate lies are like radiation poisoning you can't see it but it's no less deadly people uh might think that murder or even adultery are more important than the things that we've already looked at in the Sermon on the Mind in previous weeks. You can see the effects of murder. You can see the effect of adultery. But lying, deceit, broken promises, lacking integrity, over the long run, they are no less deadly for a community. And remember what Jesus is doing Jesus is creating a counterculture for the common good. He's making a new society, and he's calling us to join it. And in that new society, he's saying, we cannot disintegrate by lying to one another, by breeding mistrust, by lacking integrity. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' manifesto for a new grace-built community and what we're looking at this morning is that the community of faith as expressed in our gathering in city church our our family together it is to be a place where the truth and truthfulness flourish when we do that we will be a city on a hill What was the issue that Jesus was addressing? Uh, Thank you Charlotte for recording the reading for us. At first glance, you might think, well, this is rather strange, it's rather detached uh, from our reality. It's around this uh, this idea of oath-taking. I swear by such and such a thing. And in order to understand it, what we need to, to recognize is uh, what was going on what was uh, standing behind the uh the tradition of oath-taking well oath-taking was supposed to encourage truthfulness it was supposed to promote uh, integrity and people doing what they say and uh, saying what they mean and all of those things it was supposed to promote truthfulness in fact in, in various parts of the bible god swears an oath uh, so Hebrews uh, chapter 6, for example, God swears an oath and the point of God swearing an oath is it's supposed to confirm and assure the reader of, uh, of the, the promises, of the truthfulness of God. That's what they were supposed to do. But as with the other uh, commandments, as with the other injunctions, a religious system had grown up around this injunction kind of like weeds. And and the truth of of the matter had gotten lost. What had happened is that a system of loopholes had grown up. And so, and Jesus alludes to it in, uh, in these words. And so what would happen, this is actually the case, if you swore towards Jerusalem, you were bound by your oath. If you swore towards Jerusalem, you were bound by your oath. But if you swore by Jerusalem, I swear by Jerusalem, you weren't. You didn't have to keep your word. It was the ancient equivalent of making a promise and crossing your fingers behind your back. That's what was going on. Saying one thing, but actually your fingers were crossed. And so the provision of oath swearing, which was supposed to enhance truthfulness, actually helped people be deceitful. It helped people lie. And again, this is what religious people always, religious people want to make the grand proclamations and have their their fingers crossed behind their back. They want to have the external show of truthfulness without having to actually follow through. They want to make grand promises and proclamations in the moment because they're all about the external. Religious people and religion is all about the external, what you can see on the face. It's never about the heart. It's never about the inside. And Jesus will have none of it because to follow Jesus is all about the heart. It's all about what flows out from within. Your intention, where your heart is at, matters. And so Jesus will have none of it. He says, if you're going to do this whole system of swearing oaths, you know, uh, if you swore uh, if you swore by the altar, for example, if you swore by the altar, you didn't have to keep your word. But if you swore by the sacrifice on the altar, you did. And Jesus elsewhere in Matthew's gospel is like, no, no, you've got this all wrong. If you're going to kind of develop all these loopholes and split all of these hairs, what's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is don't swear at all. Just say yes or no. And when you say yes, mean yes. And when you say no, mean no. He says don't swear at all. Uh, Have a look with me. Uh, Verses 34 uh, through to 36. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great city of the king. And do not take an oath uh, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Why does Jesus say, don't take an oath at all? Well, it has to do with all of this stuff about uh, about the about heaven being his uh, God's throne and Earth being God's foot, footstool Jerusalem is the city of God's king God owns the hairs in your head so what's Jesus saying Jesus is saying if you swear by anything heaven Earth Jerusalem your own head whatever you pick it ultimately goes back to God. Because God ultimately owns it. God's in charge of it. God's in control of it. You can't change your hair color. Uh, Only God can do that. All of these things devolve ultimately back to God. And so, if you take an oath, you're really swearing by God himself. And if you're swearing by God himself, there is no justification for evasion. There's no justification for breaking your word if you swear by God. That's Jesus' point. There's no loophole. There's no get out clause. And so what is better? Simply say yes or no and mean that. Jesus' answer is for us all to be straightforward with one another, to be truthful, to say what we mean and mean what we say, to have integrity. To not say one thing and do another, to not make a commitment and then break it. Some uh, have taken this to mean, let me just clear this up quickly, some have taken this to mean uh, that because of Jesus' words here, you can't swear an oath, for example, in a courtroom. You place your hand in the Bible and say, uh, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God said, so, well, as a Christian, you can't do that. That, I'm afraid, would be to, uh, to miss the broader point of what Jesus is talking about. The point is that followers of Jesus are in every sphere of life to be those of truthfulness, honesty and integrity. Let's think a little bit further. Why does Jesus, or sorry, let me put it differently. Why does truthfulness matter to Jesus? Why does truthfulness matter to Jesus? The first thing to note is that because it is because deceit, so to be untruthful, is to be self-loving deceit is self-love what have we always talked about at city church that so the essence of sin is self-love to love ourselves more than god and more than others to be obsessed with ourselves to be turned in on ourselves to be self loving and lies come from that self-loving place don't they Think about it. Why do we lie to people? Why do I lie to people? Well, if we've done something wrong, we do it in order to cover up what we've done, in order to avoid the consequences. Isn't it remarkable that we don't need to teach our children to lie? That when they've done something wrong, they'll run and hide and then when you catch them, They'll just bareface lie to you. Why? Because they are loving themselves and trying to avoid the consequences. Why else do we lie? We lie because we don't want people to think badly of us. We don't want to go down in a person's estimation. It's all about preserving ourselves. But That self-preservation comes at a price, doesn't it? Isn't lying exhausting? Isn't anxiety, or sorry, isn't lying anxiety ridden? Because one of the things that you've got to do if you really get pulled down and marred into lying is you've got to constantly keep a record of what you've said to who and when you've said it. And you've got to make sure that your story is always lining up. It's absolutely exhausting. It leads, doesn't it, to deeper and deeper lies, to more and more deceit. What is that, uh, that idiom, that phrase, uh, what a tangled web we weave when first we conspire to deceive. Soon our lies become this web in which we catch ourselves. It comes as a pr- at a price. There are examples in the Bible of lying coming as a price. You think of David, You're David who has uh, this adulterous affair with with Bathsheba, and tries to deceive Uriah her husband uh, into thinking that the baby that she's pregnant with isn't uh, isn't David's. He tries to. Uh, to, to, du- to dupe him, to deceive him, but it doesn't work. And so his lies lead him down a path, ultimately, to Uriah's murder. Our lying comes at a price. But the gospel offers us hope. You see, the gospel is about Jesus' death for our self-love, for our sin, for our lying. He Pays the price. He's the one who is thought badly of, mocked, spat upon, jeered at. He takes those consequences so that liars like me, liars like you, could experience love and approval and acceptance, those things that our hearts crave not by men but by god not by men temporarily but by god eternally we don't always lie uh, to cover the sins that we've committed though that is one motivation for lying sometimes we lie in order to present ourselves as better than we are in order to present a more polished version of ourselves. I suspect that you do do this if you own an Instagram account, Snapchat account, Facebook account, Twitter account, a TikTok account. You are presenting to the world a persona that is not really the true you, because you get to edit it. You get to put a filter on it. You get to show the world what you want them to see. You don't show the things that you don't want them to see. You don't often show them how your life truly is. Some of us present a very different version of reality to the one that you experience in your everyday life. But all of us get sucked into this social media temptation. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why it's got such a grip on us? Why it's got such a grip on you? Could it be for some of us that it's because you don't want to face the reality of the problems that you know that are there. So to present this persona, it's a, it's an escape mechanism. It's a way of distracting you from reality. So you market yourself. You market yourself as in control. You market yourself as beautiful. You market yourself as skillful, smart, witty when all the while you feel nothing but you feel out of control you feel ugly you feel anxious you feel stupid but rather than facing those things head on bringing them out into the light asking for help to navigate them it's easier isn't it to put them under the rug into the cover to lock those things away and to present the filtered image could it be also because you crave you need the validation that social media gives you. There's been lots done in recent years about the, uh, the chemical, the neurochemical hit uh, that we get when we see you know, uh, nine new notifications, that little red number. The higher that red number is on your Facebook app, you're like, oh my goodness, lots of people have been interacting with me in the posts that I put up. And look at it, I posted this picture just a couple of days ago and look, it's got 20, 40, 80, 100, 120 likes. How many comments has it? Oh, it's got a new comment. Is that comment a positive one? Yes, it is. And neurochemically, every time we do that, we're getting a dopamine hit. We're getting the endorphins rushing around our brain. It's like we're taking a little, uh, a little hit of uh, of something. It's a drug. And we need those hearts, those retweets, those quotes. I imagine somebody somebody that you respect, somebody that you admire, retweets you. All because you crave that sense of approval, that sense of validation. And folks, I'm not immune to that. One of the things that the Lord Jesus has been reminding me this week, and I would remind you, is that in the gospel, you don't need to fake it. Jesus knows what you're like anyway. Jesus knows your needs, your fears, the things that you struggle with, all that stuff that's in that locked cupboard that we just talked about. Jesus knows it all. You don't need to fake it with him. He would invite you not to try. He also approves of you, not on the basis of the things that you have done, but on the basis of what he has done for you. And so you can stop. You can get off the hamster wheel of seeking validation through likes, comments, shares, quotes, retweets, hearts, followers. He loves you. He approves of you. He has already declared his opinion of you. When he died for you. The gospel tells us that we are fully known, warts and all, unfiltered. But it also tells us that we are fully loved, often in spite of our own self love. Jesus hates deceit because that deceit is self-love and that self-love is ultimately destructive to us he would come and liberate us from that the other reason why truthfulness matters to Jesus is because when we lack integrity it affects us and it affects those around us I remember uh, when I was at theological college living with a uh, a guy, his name was Jonathan. And he did something that just always boggled my brain. But now I get it. Whenever Jonathan had made a commitment to something, it didn't matter that something better had come up. It didn't matter that there was a, a, a better option. No, Jonathan always said, no, 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 I've... I've made this prior commitment and yeah, I would have, I would have liked to have done that. I would have liked to have gone this place, but I said to this person that I was going to do this thing. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. I used to, to go to him as, <laughs> I immature I wasn't be like, but, but why this is, this is clearly better. Like, why wouldn't you just blow that off? Like they won't mind, they won't care. What does it matter? go and do this thing. Come with us. He said, no. I've said yes to this. And so I'm going to follow through. He was absolutely right. He understood Jesus' words. And it was growing in him a heart of integrity. And that meant I trust that I'm back now. What I was saying was that, um, that Jesus was growing in him a heart of integrity. And what that caused him to do was that he had to trust in God's timing and provision. That God had brought this thing to him first for a reason. And just because something better had come along didn't mean that he had to, uh, to turn aside, to, to, to blow that thing off. Our world has a problem with Commitment. Our world, our community, our city is often commitment phobic. Here in Dublin, and I'm sure you've experienced this in Dublin as well as in other cities, people lack dependency. People say yes to something and they don't follow through. Is that something that you have done? Perhaps it is because we're always looking for the better option. And so all we're doing is we're hedging our bets. We say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, okay, I'm going to pick the one that I like. We're looking for the better option. You say yes to one thing, knowing that if something better comes along or it inconveniences you in the moment to follow through, that you'll just blow it off. doesn't matter. The other reason why we say yes when people ask us is because of our own fear of man. We don't want to let people down to their faces. We don't want to say no to a person. And so uh, rather than disappointing them there in the moment, we simply go quiet. We don't reply to their messages. We see them coming up on WhatsApp, but we make sure that they don't get double blue tick because then they know that we've read them. And we say, oh, sorry, completely forgot. All the while, we know that we have blown them off. If we are to heed Jesus' call to be a, a, a counterculture for the common good, we need to expose and to counter the flakiness that exists in our own hearts, that exists, dare I say Amongst us, in the gospel, God pledges himself unwaveringly to his people. He commits himself to those whom he loves. To follow him, to image him to one another and to a watching world is to be faithful and committed in that same way. when we lack integrity, when we flake out on one another, when we flake out on the commitments that we make, it harms our discipleship, it harms our life together. It prevents us from developing deep connections, particularly, I think, probably in the, in the, in the context of, of community group. You think about it. This happens so often that uh, people come to me or one of the other leaders, and they say something like, "I just don't. I just don't really feel like I know anybody. I just don't really feel uh, connected. I don't really feel like I'm, I'm friends with anybody here." And by and large, though not always, but by and large, one of the things that we might say is, um, "Well, have you been?" Have you been plugged into your community group? Have you been going along faithfully every week, getting to know people? And look, I know that Zoom community group is not the same as the real thing. But you say, have you been committed? Have you been prioritizing that? And so often, though not always, but often, what comes up is, well, they haven't. Community group is—it's an optional extra. I'll tune into the stream and. If I get along on a Tuesday or Wednesday, then fine. But if something else comes up, if something more fun, if something more, in your mind, pressing comes along, then community group goes out the window. Or you come onto the Zoom call, but you're not really there. You're there, your name is displayed. But the camera's not on your microphone's muted you're not really engaging it is no surprise that you would feel disconnected from the life of the church if that happens more and more and more to flake out on one another Prevents the connection, the deep connection that we so desperately need and are longing for in this season. So many of us are lonely, feel cut off from the life of the church. We need to press into our life together. We need to make good on our commitments to one another. It not only affects deep connections, but it affects our mission. It affects our mission together because when we when we flake out, when we don't follow through on our commitments, what it communicates to uh, to everyone is that we can't be depended on, we can't be counted on as a as a partner in a mission in the mission to see the gospel go out to the city, and that lessens our impact. It prevents deep connection. It affects our mission because it says that we cannot be to other people is that this following Jesus stuff it's part-time other stuff can, uh, can come in and supplant it that there are better options the following Jesus can come in second place one of the things that I have learned over the course of lockdown as I have gotten to know non-Christians around about us here is that our integrity is what matters to them more than anything else the non-christian friends that we're developing here in our neighborhood don't care about what i do they don't care about my convictions about the resurrection they don't care about my theology of justification they don't care about my theology of baptism they don't give a monkeys what they are looking for and what they do care about is Am I somebody who has integrity? Do I say one thing and do another? Do I make a commitment and then flake out? No, don't get me wrong. Of course, there are always reasons for saying that you'll do something and, and then something comes up and then you can't do it. I'm not, of course, there are always exceptions. So don't think that, you know, if I make a commitment, but then, you know, my legs hanging off and I'm at Connolly Hospital, you know, I've got to kind of drag, drag myself to wherever I've made the commitment. Of course, that would be, that'd be a wrong way of thinking about it. But there are many times when we make commitments and don't follow through simply because we don't want to anymore or something better has come up. That affects our witness. It affects our discipleship. It affects how you grow as a follower of Jesus. When you say yes to something and something that you prefer comes up, it raises in that moment the question Do I trust God's timing here? Do I trust God's provision in letting this other thing that I would prefer sail by? Dishonesty will always bring you material benefits, but it will reap other damages. Dishonesty will always get you short-term advantages. Maybe you'll have to pay somebody less for labour because it's not going through the books. The question there is a discipleship question, am I going to have integrity and say no, no, we're going to pay tax on this, even if it means shelling out another couple of hundred euro, am I going to have integrity don't think that those those little sins those little white lies don't pretend. That they're not radiation poisoning in your bones. Maybe you'll have to miss out on a on a short term gain or promotion, because you aren't willing to compromise your integrity. You're not willing to tell your boss simply what he wants to hear, to embellish your CV. But in the long term, your honesty will commend you. It will commend you to those around you. Remember, we are to be salt. That's what Jesus calls us to. We're to be salt. That is, to preserve moral decay. If we join in in the rot, it will never stop. What's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer here is simple, clear and honest speech. If you say yes to something, mean yes and follow through. If you say no, mean no. If you take a stand against something in public, stand against it in private. What does that look like for you? Are you a, not a socialite, are you a social liar? You say yes to everything. You say, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, see you then. And you have no intention of showing up. Why not say, no, look, I can't. Do you make a commitment? But then if something better comes around, you turn aside. I've done that. I know I've done that. I'm guilty of that. Jesus, as with all of these sermon, the mountain sermons, is calling me to faith and repentance. Let me ask also, are you the same person online as you are in real life? And that can go to extremes. If you're given to catfishing, you need to repent of that, to confess that sin and to turn from it. But in the everyday, are you presenting a what you know to be a false, exaggerated persona? If that is you, then Jesus does not stand on this mountain to condemn you he might be convicting you in the same way that he's been convicting me but he's doing that so that he might drive us to him and to the grace that he offers you see our world is searching we are searching for truth in a world of lies we grew up hearing that everyone had their own truth. Your truth, my truth. But more and more, I think that people are searching for something more. They're realizing that there must be something more. There must be an objective form of truthfulness. There must be an objective form of reality. Because they see the, the disconnection and disintegration that, they, that your truth and my truth brings. Because it just breeds lies. Jesus offers you Jesus offers us something better. He is the truth that came and laid down his life for the lie. He knows what it is to have someone pretend to be one thing and yet to be another. Judas adopted a false persona in order to betray him. Peter heaped up promises promise after promise, not to betray, not to deny. And yet when push came to shove, he betrayed his Lord. Jesus died for the lie that we are the masters of our own destiny, that we are our own gods. He died for the lie that God is not good, that his timing isn't perfect, that his provision is not trustworthy. And on the cross, we see that goodness in full array. We see the perfection of his timing, the glory of his provision, of his salvation. And he calls you again to trust that, to trust his goodness, to trust his perfect timing, to trust his control and his love. Jesus died not just because people told lies about him. He died for liars. He died for flakes. He died for our deceit, for our exaggeration, for our false personas, for our exhausting addiction to being liked. And what does he offer? He offers to make us whole gives us grace upon grace and pours his spirit into our hearts so that we can live anew, so that we can bring the lies that we have told, the lies that we believe, out into the light and find cleansing and acceptance. He gives us his spirit and his spirit weans us off this toxic dependency on the validation of others that is so fleeting. Don't you know how destroyed you feel when you don't get those likes? Even worse, when somebody makes a bad comment or puts on that angry emoji. Don't you feel how crippling that is? Jesus calls you, Jesus offers you something so much better. Jesus offers to wean you off that toxic addiction. And to set you free. He gives you his spirit. So that you can be fueled. To have integrity. To live lives of integrity. And honesty. Of saying what you mean. And meaning what you say. Some of you have been. You've grown up in contexts where nobody told you the truth everybody let you down nobody had integrity around you and you have an opportunity to create a new legacy in your life to create a new legacy in your family by the power of the holy spirit that you will speak truthfully in your interactions that you will speak simply and plainly that you will not be part of the rot that you will not be part of the disintegration anymore. You will speak in a way that preserves, that brings life, that brings light, that shows the truthfulness of Jesus. If we do that, if we do that, God help us, let us do that. If we do that as a community, as a community of faith, as a church, as City Church, we, I promise you, we will be a city on a hill. Our light could not be hidden if we are so committed to one another, if we're so committed to the truth, if we are so committed to having integrity, to following through on our speech. Our light, the light of the gospel through us, it simply could not be hidden will you join us on that mission let's pray why don't i lead us in an act of confession almighty god our heavenly father we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed and we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves we have sinned in our false speech we have sinned in our undisclosed intentions in our false intentions we have sinned in our exaggeration we have sinned in our false personas Thank you that Jesus liberates us from that exhausting hamster wheel of self-love, of lies, of anxiety. Thank you that he died For for those of us who lie often so easily. May his truth take root deeply in our hearts so that we might live lives of integrity, honesty, clarity of speech that cause us to flourish as people, that causes the people that we love to flourish in relationship with us and causes us to shine as that city on a hill for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.